Welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held. This week we're going to do something a little different. It won't be your standard interview podcast, but rather a recording of Todd Barton's talk on West Coast Synthesis, the three pillars of West Coast Synthesis to be exact, from uh, this last weekend's Portland Synth Expo. Uh, I do a little Q&A section at the end, but it's mostly just Todd uh, giving us his wisdom. It was lovely to see Todd and everybody else out there at the event. I got to meet a bunch of new people. I got to see some old friends. I have to give a special shout out to Abe from AI Synthesis and his wife, Anna. Uh, they put me up for the weekend in their lovely home. And uh, I just love those two so much. Got to meet their, uh, their, their bartender friends, which makes them sound like way harder partiers than they are, but they just got a little bar around the corner and they were lovely. And I actually ended up going to that bar after the first day of the expo was over and had a nice sit down chat with uh, the fellows from New Systems Instruments. So that's gonna be coming next week. Um, I got some kits from AI and I'm gonna do a little video on uh, putting those together and then testing them out. I got to see some really, really exciting uh, upcoming modules from Weston Precision Audio. Gonna blow your mind, uh, as well as 4MS has some stuff, uh, has a new module coming out. I'm not sh exactly sure when, but it's a one of a kind and it's uh, I think it's gonna change the game in certain aspects, so uh, be on the lookout for that. This week's featured artist is actually going to be a new pal that I met out there at the Synth Expo. His um, name is Daniel McGinn. Uh, he goes by Dead Midi. He was my booth buddy for the weekend. I had the Pod Mod booth set up, and then right next to me was Daniel. He was uh, representing Board Brain, so that was cool. Um, and yeah, he was very patient with my... Uh, explosion of stuff that I had there he kept having to step over everything and I I felt bad and I kept tidying up but my family calls me a tornado for a reason um, so thank you for your patience on that Daniel I also got some really cool modules from uh, Satonix synths as well as tidbits audio they collaborated on a couple modules it was actually really cool like you know you have all these these booths with all their modules and stuff and they actually made what they called their uh, their modular menu and I'll, I'll throw a graphic up here on the screen because I just thought it was uh, really really fun and clever but yeah I got a couple modules from them one of which is called the psychedelic voltage processor and you'll see this in a demo video that's coming up on the show it takes an incoming CV signal and uses LEDs to create all this chaotic random stuff. I can't really speak to it any more than that. Uh, I've only used it. I haven't actually like learned what everything does. Um, but like any good module, you can use it without knowing what it does. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So I'll be demoing that soon. I also got this really, really cool little Vactral uh, VCA from Satonix and uh, tidbit so um, yeah we'll be we'll be checking these out in the future but I am using them in the video that's coming up where I demo the Bastel Basil as well as the Bastel Casper Aikido dynamic VCA mixer I want to throw a special shout out to Paolo and uh, Jason from Control Voltage they really uh, knocked it out of the park setting this whole thing up it was not just synths uh, but it was also uh, a guitar pedal expo, so I got to meet some cool people from, uh, you know, Red Panda Labs and Catlin Bread, and I got to see a buddy from Empress Effects. So that was that was really fun. 
But yeah, there's, there's lots more to share about the weekend in Portland, but I will space it out between this week's episode and next week's. Uh, why don't we check out a little uh, video clip with uh, a dead MIDI track below it. Link to dead MIDI's music in the show description. This week's episode of Podular Modcast is brought to you by Novation and their flagship synthesizer, the Summit. I've been using the Summit a lot to create samples to put into my stereo-triggered sampler for 4MS, as well as just playing keys. It is a lot of fun, it's super easy to use, it's very deep, but not at all intimidating, very navigable. It also has been very inspirational for me as far as writing new music. So, if you would like to check this out, please visit the show description and click the link. And once again, thank you to Novation for their support of Podular Modcast. This week's episode is brought to you, as always, by Patchworks Seattle. And they have some exciting news. They have uh, the new Korg ARP 2600 semi-modular synthesizer uh, that has been modernized in the newest 2600M model uh, with features like MIDI, a smaller form factor, and a re-engineered lush spring reverb. And that is available at Patchworks. 
And something else about Patchworks that I have utilized many times is it is a great place to bring in your vintage synthesizers and music gear on consignment, or you can do some trade for store credit. Patchworks is located in the heart of the Wallingford neighborhood in Seattle. You can stop by the showroom to play vintage synthesizers and shop new and used gear. Also has a ton of live events from in-store showroom sessions with local artists to in-depth workshops and classes. And here's another cool piece of information. If you are shopping online at Patchworks, free shipping for orders over $75. And then one last thing, they are updating their showroom hours. So Patchworks will be now open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from noon to 7 p.m. and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. So it will be closed Monday through Wednesday. Once again, that's patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S. I'd like to thank everybody who supports me on Patreon. If you would like to support PodMod, head over to patreon.com forward slash podularmodcast. I don't have health insurance, so if you would like to see me have some health insurance, that would be a great help over there at Patreon. Ah, digital panhandling. It's so much fun. Um... Also, thank you to Patchworks for their continued support of Podular Modcast, of course, Novation, 4MS, and After Later Audio. Okay, let's check out the basil from Bastel. Okay, so what is going on in this here patch? Quite a lot. The gist is I'm using the Weston AD110 drum machine and running that into one of the inputs, the left input on the Bastel Basil. Um, I'm using the triphase oscillator from New Systems Instruments, and all of these signals are going into the Bastel Aikido as well. Um, and I'm using all these modulation sources to modulate the basil as well as the Aikido. Um, and then you can see as I'm turning that knob on that factual VCA down there, um, what I'm actually doing is running the mix output from the Aikido. Uh, into that VCA and then into the right input of the basal. So that's creating like this feedback loop that's only getting fed in there when I turn that knob. Um, I'm passing um, all sorts of voltages from the Buchla source of uncertainty into the psychedelic uh, voltage processor. That's the upper left corner uh, colorful blinky guy. Um, well, I guess the video is in black and white, so you can't see the colors. Yeah, so just lots of crazy modulation. One thing I would do want to note about uh, the modulation going into the Aikido is I'm using the, you know, the VCA inputs there as well as the sidechain input. And the modulation that's going in there is, is going between uh, you know, sub-audio into audio rate. So it's actually, so when those CB signals go audio rate into the Aikido, we're getting some extra harmonics. So that's also what's going on. So yeah, I'm just messing around with the, the different CB ins controlling the new system's instruments uh, inertia, which is a really crazy like slew generator thing. It's much more complicated than that, but we're going to talk about that next week with Evan from New Systems. I'm modulating the filter, blur, and taps parameters on the basal with all of this modulation as well. So just a lot of crazy stuff happening. Once again, I made a huge patch that would have been 
way too confusing to walk you through point by point, especially for the audio listeners. So I hope what I just told you is, uh, is enough information for you to grasp how cool this basil and Aikido are. Jason from uh, Control Voltage, who helped all put this together. So thanks to all of them, and I'm just happy to see you all. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's going to be fun to chat. Um, I'm going to be talking about West Coast synthesis, but before I go down that meme, uh, <laughs> let's just point out that when we talk about sound and music coming from electricity, there are no labels. It's all wide open. Okay. And labels can be, they can be empowering, they can be destructive, they can be clarifying, they can be confusing, uh, they can be helpful, and they can be hurtful. And so hopefully this is helpful. And I don't really believe in this East Coast, West Coast <laughs> label. But, especially in this day with synthesis, I mean, all the modules that are coming out are a blend. I mean, there's so much. If we talk about Moog as East Coast and Buchla Surge as West Coast, I mean, you know, you get wave folding low pass gates in, you know, in just about every module that's coming out these days. So I, I don't think, you know, that distinction has gone away. So what I'm bringing to the table, though, is looking back at Moog and Buchla historically. I think 1960, mid-60s, and what I'll be focusing on is like early 1970s when big Moogs and, uh, and the first 200, Buchla 200 came out. And the differences between them, I think, bring to the table what I've learned about Don Buchla Surge's aesthetic more than anything else. It's, and, you know, in a way it's like, uh, it's comparing like a shakuhachi, which is a Japanese bamboo flute, to a transverse flute. 
Okay. Shakuhachi is made out of bamboo. It has five holes the size of a pencil. And the transverse flute has holes that are the size of a dime and needs all these me mechanical things. You blow them the same way. One, you, it's like a Coke bottle, but this is a Coke bottle this way. They both make great music. It's basically who's playing them, right? So end of that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a quick look at, uh, oh yeah, when we're talking electronic music, anything can become anything. Um, the labels West Coast and East Coast didn't really come into the conversation until about a decade ago, which is interesting. I think I traced it back thanks to Doug. Um, I looked, looked up. Uh, Doug Cloder was saying I think it was Grant Richter that that created these things, and I looked it up on Mod Wiggler, and yes, 2007. But in 2010, I was writing articles, and I hadn't even heard about it. I didn't see it in any of the journals. It was in the underground forums that this conversation was taking place. So let's look at that. Let's look at the explosion of analog synthesis, which, yeah, there was Eurorack in the late 90s and stuff, but I really blossomed like 2008, 2010. So it's a young thing, and I, I lived through the dark ages of modular analog synthesis, which started in 1985 when everything went digital. You know, DX7 came out, the Korg M1 came out, everyone said, ah, digital is the way, and I said, no, 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 and they said, you're nuts, Todd, and I said, okay, and they said, here, and they gave me all their analog synths, and I went, yes! <laughs> so, um, but then analog synths came back. And um, let's see, in broad strokes, as I've talked about, it's sort of like Moog is the East Coast and Bukla is the West Coast. Thank goodness somebody has left the East Coast up here for us. <laughs> Perfect. That's, yes, it, look at that. Keyboards. Yes. <laughs> West Coast. No keyboards, cables, touch plates, ways of interfacing biologically with the, the organism, if you will. Um, yeah, while we're on keyboard, oh, before we do that, turn to your hymnals, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, page, what is it, one, two, three, you hold it in landscape. This is what I think is the essence of East Coast. Look at all those familiar things, right? <laughs> oscillator, filter, low frequency oscillator, envelope generator. And the thing is, I, this is what I grew up on, because all the books, even though I was playing a surge, all the books I could get in the 70s were like Moog and Roland and Korg, and they were all saying, you start with an oscillator, and then you go through it, you, you get a good buzzy sound, you put it through a filter, you subtract that, you come out to an amplifier, and you can throw some envelope generators and LFOs to liven up the sound. Okay. And usually fixed waveforms. We'll get into that for another in a moment. This is my take on West Coast synthesis. Where one East Coast is linear, West Coast I think is centripetal. 
That is, you have an oscillator, usually a dual oscillator, which started back in the 60s, and you throw tons of control voltage at it. And you have lots of different outputs. Okay, this is way different. And you cross-modulate them, that's just guaranteed, so you get richer, more diverse sounds. Okay? Um, whoops. Yeah. Oh, goody. Yes, I knew I was going to enjoy this one. <laughs> yeah, I used to do magic. But, uh, <laughs> Does that thing bite? <laughs> so, patch cable, quarter inch. This is what Moog used, right? And it's point to point. And it's take an oscillator, go to a filter. Total good East Coast. West Coast. Output. Two multiple outputs. <laughs> Think of a touch plate, right? Where body capacitance, this is the other thing. Body capacitance, the more flesh, the more resistance, the more the voltage changes. And now I can send this to pitch, to vibrato, to timbre, to all sorts of things. Modulation index. And I'm currently deep diving again into Alan Strange's book called Electronic Music, which was just reprinted. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, and Alan and Don and Alan's wife, Pat, Steve Ropenthal and Frank McCarty had a thing called the Electric Weasel Ensemble. They were all played Buchle easels in the 70s. And uh, in Alan Strange's book, I call him the uh, Don Buchle Whisperer, because Don was pretty opaque. Uh, and didn't talk a lot, but uh, Alan has unfolded a lot of the secrets. And part of that is Alan starts talking about West Coast, the term wasn't around, but what I'm talking about is he compares it to the violin. And the violin, you have pitch, vibrato, you have bow, depending on the speed and strength, you have volume or you know dynamics, if you're playing near the bridge, you have more harmonics. If you're playing sultasto over the fingerboard, it's really fluty. Uh, and, and this finger can do harmonics. I mean, you have two things that are controlling lots of parameters. That's the key. Lots of parameters. Lots of parameters. <laughs> <laughs> and so a touch plate, you know, can do, can, a touch plate and a slider or a touch plate and a knob I always feel I'm playing a violin or something like that. I'm playing an acoustical instrument. And I think that's where Don was going. Um, he wanted new music, sounds, but, you know, everybody wanted sounds they hadn't heard before. But what happens when you put a keyboard on it, thank you, Herb Deutsch, who Bob Moat said, hey, what do we do? How do we control this? And Herb goes, well, I teach at a university and keyboards are all over the place. This will make it accessible. Absolutely. Um, so it was more of a convenient decision, I think. It wasn't necessarily a philosophical decision. The thing with keyboards is they are percussion instruments. Okay? They started in the Middle Ages with little tiny organs that you would 
hold and how to bellows and you play a few notes and it's key on, opens the pipe, key off, pipe closed. There's no aftertouch, there's no vibrato, <laughs> there's nothing, it's flat out go. And then it's harpsichords, right? Okay, hit the key, this little crow quill plucks a string, game over. You can't sustain it, it's, it's a percussion instrument, okay? And of course, yeah, I know, we can program them to do different things now, but it still elicits that uh, interaction, right? Whereas a touch plate or a breath controller brings out a whole nother, or just turning knobs. What was my, oh yeah, saw a video on the other day, <coughs> and some grad student at the Institute of Sonology in The Hague was talking about he said, Don Buchla mentioned that, in his opinion, to use knobs and wires to interact with sound is the best way to get involved with different aspects of music, with timbre, with space, instead of rhythm and pitch. Uh, we're going to look at that some more down the road here. Um, oh yeah, one last thing. I'm, getting, I'm thinking you're all synth people over there. Well, some of you I know play guitar, right? But since there's pedals galore over there, I thought I at least had to address that. So I use guitar pedals with my easel. But guitar pedals, again, are pretty much this one, right? You hook this pedal, and then you have your cool pedal board, and you just keep doing in series. Well, if you really want to get West Coast about your pedals, you have your mono guitar coming into the first pedal and it has a stereo out, so you take left and you go to a fuzz box and you take right and you go to a ring modulator and then you stereo that out and you go to distortion and then you go to a delay and then you take that out and you go back to the beginning and you feed it back, okay? That's West Coast pedal. Okay. And um, every, you know, David Tudor beat us all to it, because that's what David Tudor did in the 70s. He had a table full of, of pedals, and he had what was called a matrix mixer that he built himself, and a matrix switcher, and so they could all be interacting. And you know, they were boss pedals. Come on, that's what's going down. And, but he could feed them back, and he knew he could feel the circuitry, and he could know how to sculpt the sound in real time for performance. Okay. Now we're going to get to this, the three pillars. I know it's pretentious. I ripped it off from Philip Kaplow's book, The Three Pillars of Zen, you know, from the 1970s, but why not? Uh, first pillar, variable wave shape. 1970, Moog oscillator, three or four fixed wave shapes, each independent outs. 1970, actually if we go back to, yeah, we'll go 70, Don Buchla, complex waveform generator, two oscillators that can cross-modulate each other, so in that cross-modulation you get, you get unknown, I mean, if you've ever tried to turn a knob really slowly in FM land, it's like, whoa, hello. <laughs> um, the other thing that Don created was, uh, was wave-folding. Right? Take a sine wave, the simplest wave, fold it in on itself, and it adds harmonics. 
Um, it's not quite additive synthesis, but it, it, it's a, a cousin. Right? Say. Additive synthesis is um, taking a lot of sine waves. You know, if you're Fourier, you want 1,025 <laughs> sine waves. Um, and wave folding, so adds these, oh, speaking of that, I couldn't resist. I recently got an ensemble oscillator for 4MS, which is 16 sine waves. We haven't been able to sort of do real additive synth because it just takes lots of computer stuff. There's a few others out there, but I'm totally in love with it because 16 sine waves that can cross-modulate each other. And guess what? It looks like this. It has a ton of CV inputs. And it's in a little circle. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was fun. Uh, uh, so wave shapes. With wave folding, it's closer to what acoustical instruments are. right? Because uh, just as you fold that wave, you can get hundreds of different subtle waves rather than just a square, a saw, a pulse, a triangle, and a sine. Okay? And so, and then he also had wave shaping. So you go from, there was actually wave what, what mixing. You would go from like a sine to a saw. So at some point, there's little combination. Of that. And then if we look at Surge, uh, and we all know the Surge story, right? He was hanging out helping Morton Subotnik. Morton Subotnik had the first Buchla and brought it to New York to do Silver Apples of the Moon, 1967, year before switched on Bach. Okay, and uh, Serge was working in the studio, and then Mort goes, got the gig to come back to the West Coast and teach at Cal Arts in uh, Valencia, just north of LA. And he brought Serge with him and said, Hey, can you teach some courses? And Serge went, Yeah, but nobody can afford these buklas, so I'm going to figure out circuits that everyone can, all my students can DIY and walk, walk out with. So they were really beautiful, simple circuits, but they were brilliant in that dual universal slope generator, I know I'm geeking out, but <laughs> stay with me. It's a function generator that can turn into an oscillator. We're going to look at it at the very end of this. But when you turn it into an oscillator, when it's in low frequency mode, it's like uh, a square wave, or maybe it's a saw, I don't know, but as it goes up in pitch, it magically turns into a triangle. And you're going, oh wow, how'd that happen? And when did that happen? And then you go higher and it goes sort of back into this really weird looking saw thing again. So that is more like singing. It's more like acoustics. It's not just fixed. Um, Boy, is there some water around? <laughs> I, gotta, I think there's some bottles. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind. Otherwise, yeah, my voice is going to go pretty soon. This is fresh and not in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> it's West Coast. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. So, okay, so variable and uh, I think I've made my point there. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'll make this point now. I think what Don 
and Surge and everybody was trying to do was give us, give electronic musicians the tools to make sounds we've never heard before, but to have the all the tools of the acoustic instrumentalist that can shape and and make them thank you so much make them so evocative right um, this this can be evocative but back in the day in the 70s uh, this had potential to even be more evocative right? um, so I'll probably say that again there's there's repetition Okay, next is multiple inputs and outputs. So, even back in the 1963 when Don Buchla created the 158 and 154, is it? Uh, 144. Anyway, so dual oscillator, but had three. Uh, multiple outputs, so it's the same whatever you dial in, you get the same thing three times. So the idea of mulfs, you know, is we all know it now, but that was pretty hip in 1963. And I think, you know, I looked at that for a long time and went, what's that about? <laughs> you know? And I, over the years, I've, I've come to believe it means, okay, you take this wave and you send it to a ring modulator. You take this wave, you send it to a frequency shifter or a delay or to a filter. And you take this one, the unaffected one, and send that. And you send all three of them to a mixer and you spatialize that. He was deep into spatialization, even in the 60s. By the 70s, you'll notice that everything comes in quad. Quad low pass gate quad function generators, quad everything, because in the early 70s, quad was going to be the future of our home stereo system. Stereo to come out, uh, Philips, Sony, uh, RCA, everyone was developing a quad turntables, you know, and it's like, oh, I wish I could try that, but they, you know, just sort of hit you know, physics eventually took over. <laughs> it, wa it wasn't happening. In fact, Mort Sabotnik was commissioned to do three quad albums for, uh, you know, for vinyl, and uh, eventually couldn't do it because they said we can't make the we can't make the technology to play it back in, in the house. Anyway, um, so spatialization, uh, multiple inputs, outputs. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and now CV inputs. You may have heard my bumper sticker, you're only as expressive as your control voltages. <laughs> so the more control voltages you can feed into a static sound, I feel the more expressive. And, um, you know, we can think of control voltages as envelopes or LFOs, um, but again, Mort, back in the 60s, when he was working on Silver Apples of the Moon, he went to Don and he said, you know, these fixed LFO stuff, I mean, man, I need something more. I need, I need to be able to, you know, create 
really complex control voltages. So Don went, oh, I know, and went away and created an envelope follower so that Mort could go and that would be, that's an LFO. How, how, how do you do that with a fixed LFO? You don't. So again, um, control voltages and expressivity. Um, I don't know if we need to go all through all of that. Yeah, I mean, again, the, you know, one of my favorite things to do with these, you know, when I have like seven inputs on the oscillator, is to send different time scales of function generators to it and see what sort of things you get, uh, and and not sync them. I mean, you can sync them if you want, but if they're out of sync and one is doing this and one's doing and one's doing, uh, you get this beautiful panoply of, of timbre and sound. Okay. Moving right on. Aha. Now the big one. Multifunctionality. We're going to talk about the surge dual universal slope generator. But before we do that, one of the most uh, multifunctional things is on the Buchla Music Easel, you have a low pass gate. And it's a slider. I love that it's a slider. Because um, I can see where it is instead of like, oops, the, the hashtag went over there. I need to, yeah, whoa, where, where are we? No, it's there. And also the beauty of the slider, I, I remember I made a video of this. If you have the low pass gate, which is a DCA, right, and it's in low pass filter mode, as you move the slider up, you know, you're working the cutoff of the filter. The timbre is changing. But also, if it's in the low, you're also changing the volume. So you're changing amplitude and timbre. And if you're sending like a pulse into that, in the low settings, it's soft and pizzicato. And as you go up, it gets brighter and legato. And so if you can send, if you can send a cool set of CDs to that, Instead of getting, you get, you know, it's short, long timbre. So I made a video once of just doing that, which was me with one finger. And then I had a buddy and set it up on, an, on my MOTM, you know, sort of Moog clone system, which had a filter and a pulser, you know, had all that stuff. And so you see me turning up the amplitude and changing that and then a third hand comes in to change the timbre, you know. And it's nine patch cables instead of one little shorting bar. So um, multifunctionality there. Dual universal slope generator. Okay. It can be an envelope generator. So it can something you can send to a VCA, you can make cool envelopes. It can be a subharmonic oscillator, so you can send like a high pitch into it and you generate low pitches and you can sweep through harmonics that way. Um, it can be an envelope follower. Thank you. Yes. 
I thought you had a question. <laughs> and um, yeah, it can be an oscillator, which I described to you before, which is great because it changes, it, it transforms sort of magically. Um, what else? Well, I guess it's all here. I should just read what I already wrote. Um, LFO, uh, pulse generator and clock, pulse divider, slew limiter, so it can, you can do glissandy things, low-pass filter, that's wild, it can turn into a filter. So it's, it's an oscillator, it's, yeah, you can, if you cross-modulate them, you can get noise. It's a filter, uh, it's an LFO, it's an envelope generator, uh, it's a trigger gate, and it can do, you know, clucks. So, not bad. It's called the Swiss Army Knife module. Um, yeah, so what do you do with all of that? Well, uh, yeah, you can, again, send it to different places, you know, just, there's so many possibilities. Uh, and then when you feed it back on itself, uh, you get all sorts of craziness, uh, which is sort of where, uh, you know, sort of where my Krell patch, I don't know if any of you know that, but uh, that it was years in the discovering, and I was not looking for it, just one night it happened, but it was taking a Buchla function generator and feeding it back on itself and sending random stuff to it that all of a sudden made what I felt was a musical acoustic gesture that breathe, that had breath. It's so easy with electronics to just do, they will go forever until we pull the plug. And we can do nice washy things, or we can do percussive things. Uh, but my goal has always been, how do I find a way to make the electronics breathe? How to make phrases so that we as an audience can breathe with the electronics. I'm not saying that's the only way to go. You know, it's just sort of what I... I came from an acoustical background, so there, there you have it. Um, the other... Yeah, where else? Um, the other thing, I guess with the... I'll finish up with, you know, something we all know as electronic musicians. Um, which is that magic that happens, especially with the universal slope generator or any function generator, where it starts out as like a LFO square wave and all you hear is and we know if we get fast enough it turns into pitch. And there's a magic window, I think it's between like 16 to 22 hertz, you know, beats per second, depending on how our ears and what you ate for breakfast, uh, you start to perceive it as pitch. We don't all perceive it at that same moment, which is, again, really organic. And that's, I love looking at the organic possibilities of sound. And that's one of those magic moments. So. I think I've covered everything. Now it might be time for some questions. 
So thank you. I was asked to come and help facilitate the Q&A with Todd, which I was very excited to do because I love Todd. Um, <laughs> my name's Tim. I, I host a show called Pot Driller Modcast, and Todd's uh, been on it a number of times, so that's how we met. And yeah, here we are. Here we are. Um, so does anybody have any questions? I know I have some, but I wanted to give you guys a chance first. So, so I was see, I was seeing uh, a show about the BBC tape slicing and cutting. Yes. You know, they ended up with, for instance, the Doctor Who theme. Right. And you can watch the people, you know, discover the theme that they cut. Yeah. They, did, they didn't have a, a, a rule to say what it was going to sound like. Right. Until, until it came out. Yeah. Did it. yeah. So, how much of that tape world mix in with synthesizer world? Oh. Good question. How much uh, did the tape world uh, mix in with synthesizer world? And yes, that that documentary is great. It's uh, it's about Delia Derbyshire, and uh, do you remember the title of it? Uh, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Anyway, Delia Derbyshire, spelled Derbyshire. But, so, yeah, she she was at the BBC uh, Radiophonic uh, Studios for years and was just brilliant. Uh, again, a mathematician and a musician. And that's why she could cut tape so precisely. Because she was going like, okay, I want this beat. And it's worth watching at the very end because they play a, a beat from 1971 that you will swear is techno. And it was all just little pieces of tape spliced together. And how does tape music play into this? Well, historically, those touch plates that Buchler used um, that were that Don in the San Francisco Tape Music Center, we're talking like 1962 to 5 before it moved to Mills, 66, uh, they had a block of wood with copper touch plates, and there were 10 of them. And those were used because they were splicing tape and going, oh, this is so tedious. Oh, why do we have to do that? They're doing it in Europe. They've done it better than we can, blah. So they got a radio, and they're all always stealing stuff, right? I'm not stealing, but they were going to Army Surplus and getting old gear, because that's all they could afford. And so they got a cart machine that used in radio, right? So you put these little cartridges in there, and they have the information. So they made like tape loops and stuck them in the cartridges. And Don went, oh, OK, well, we'll just trigger, start and stop those tape loops with this. So you don't have to go over there and switch. So it was remote control for tape. Yeah. Good question. Thanks, Bob. Well. <laughs> Other questions? Yeah. I'm curious, you said your experience with acoustic instruments has influenced how you approach electronic music years after the fact, the way you know, how your experience with electronic music impact how you Oh, okay, yeah, the question, because uh, this is probably not picking yeah. up, is, you know, how, how acoustic, I come from an acoustic background and that has influenced my electronics. How has electronics influenced my acoustics? Uh, great question. Uh, I listen deeper 
I hear different things. So when I come back to my acoustic instruments, it's like, oh, I'm hearing at a different level. And I have students all around the world, and often many of them are guitar players. And you know, one in particular comes into mind, um, lives in Colorado, and he just basically, he, he frigging bought, you know, got a bukla and, you know, just put the guitar away and says, I'm going to learn this. And, you know, we spent, you know, a couple of years, and then he went back to the guitar and he goes, Todd, it's like stuff I couldn't play before, I can just play now. And I'm hearing it in a different way, and the guitar is, is different. So, hopefully that answers your question. I've had the exact same experience. I started at as guitar, you know, on guitar and a little drums in my you know, younger days. Went straight into modular. You know, I'd plink on guitar, but I wasn't taking it seriously. And I just recently got back into drums and playing piano and guitar. And I am better than I've ever been at all three of those instruments. And I think it is because. Even, I had to get my chops back as far as the muscle memory stuff goes, that, that suffered, but my intuition and everything is, is completely different, it is rewired yeah. my brain. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned listening, because that was going to be kind of the root of a question, because that was some, I know that, that you're walking, and you're wa your practice of walking, and, and your deep listening, and, uh, and you know, I forgot where I was going to go with that, because when you, know, you started talking about it, I'm like, I think you just answered the question I was going to ask. Um, well, but yeah, could you expound a bit on that for everybody in here, just like sure. the importance of listening yeah. and that practice specifically? Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing, if I'm ever asked about uh, what's the most important thing about composition, what's the most important thing about improvisation, what's the most important thing about performance, what's the most important thing about patching, it's listening. And the deeper you can listen, the more you can, the, you start to go into the sound and you have a relationship with the sound. You know, with, and um, as Pauline Olivero said, who you know created a whole school called Deep Listening, she said, if the musicians on stage are listening, odds are the audience is too. And we've all been, I think, in various situations where the musicians are not listening on stage. And you can, you can feel that either intellectually or physically or whatever. So, yeah, my practice is I walk every morning and just listen to the environment, whichever environment I'm in. Uh, luckily, I live near trees and things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, like this morning, I was up at, you know, six o'clock walking around Portland, and it's, you know, there's so many cool sounds. Um, and uh, Pauline, it, you know, it, it's I'm following Pauline's thing, which is like, okay, you're walking or you're standing. What's the furthest sound away that you can hear? And you listen and you listen and you go, oh, I think that's a plane, you know. And then oh, it's changing pitch. It's getting closer. The timbre's changing. It's getting louder. Oh, bird. Oh, hello, bird. Bird over here. Oh, another bird over here. Oh, are they talking together? You know, I learn so much every day about mixing and spatially mixing, right? Um, because in the environment, and then it's like, wow, when did that plane go away? Uh, you know, I, I got pulled over here. Uh, one of my good friends, 
uh, uh, grew up in Southern California, we went to college together, and he said when he would go home, he'd go up on, they lived down in a little valley, he'd go up on the hillside, and he'd try to stay focused on when, when did that plane enter my hearing consciousness, and then stay with it, and then the real game is when did it leave, and it gets really, it's a fun game because it's like, no, didn't it, whoa, where'd it go? You know, it's like, it's good ear training. Uh, and that, that's another thing. Uh, I've been, with this Alan Strange book. Okay. David Tudor, John Cage, Alan Strange, Pat Strange, his wife, super violinist, Morton Sabotnik, Pauline Oliveros, they were all consummate acoustic instrumentalists. Pauline played accordion and French horn. That's how she and Mort met. He was playing clarinet. He did clarinet solos all over the place. Uh, David Tudor, of course, was the best uh, keyboard player and uh, let it go to go deep into electronics. But uh, the point being, where am I going with that? Uh, listening, yeah. it's. Again, the whole, the whole listening thing and, and feeling the sound, I guess since I riffed on David Tudor, he, everyone said Tudor's touch on the piano was bar none the best. He could do timbral things that nobody believed, and he was playing classical music. And at the age of 19, he took a piano apart and looked at the action, and you know, which is, you know, key to like this weird thing, then hammer hits the string, and when hammer hits the string, it has to immediately bounce back, and it's called the escapement. And it's like nanoseconds. And that's the way you can like, you know, play the same note over. So he was sitting there doing that, and when people asked him what was up, why can you do things that nobody else can, he says, it's all in the escapement. That's I that is where I listen. And it was like, okay. <laughs> We're talking lis listening and feeling and he could control the nanoseconds of escapement. Conscious. So yes. Listening. That's that like that changed my entire approach to not only patching and mixing, but just like I used to fall asleep listening to music. Now I used to live in a noisy neighborhood. We moved to a not-so-noisy neighborhood. Now I do field recordings overnight in nature to listen to when I go to bed because there's not enough interesting sounds at my house anymore. Like, I need... <laughs> I need, And I feel like that deep listening, learning... Because that's something else that you said when you first told me about this probably four or five years ago was how you were getting better at hearing things further away and getting better at spotting them in, you know, in space and how... And, like... I don't know, that really, really stuck with me, and I, I, I feel like it's something I still apply oh. constantly, so thank good. you for that, good. yeah, it's great. Well, thank you. And just to finish off Pauline's on that, she goes, what's the furthest sound? What's the midway between you and that sound? And what's the closest sound? And that gets really interesting, because that gets down to Oh, yeah, I can hear my breath. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can hear, you know, if I'm walking, 
this is really subtle, but it's really there. And oh yeah, what's that tempo? And what's this tempo to my heartbeat, which if I put my finger in my ear, I can hear. And you learn about all these different time scales that are going on in the organic world. You know, and that you can bring to your music. Yeah? It's like kind of a good segue. I'm just sitting with this idea of, uh, you know, when we talk about straight sine waves and saw waves and stuff just being so just, you know, it's a static thing, right? You can let you have, you know, dynamic waveforms of all kinds are just so much more colorful and interesting. performance, I have no idea usually when I pull up the slider on the easel what sound I'm going to get. In fact, I often ask people to come up and just move sliders with the, the sound off. So I have no, you know, no clue. And you, then I pull the volume up and it's like, here we go. And, you know, as Alan Strange and David Tudor would say, it will tell you what it wants to do. If you listen to it, you can start to follow it. You can have a dialogue with it, and it can unfold in interesting ways. And you, you, can, you, can, you can say, what if? What if I push it this way, and it's like, oh, okay, we're going here now. Okay. So I, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Or to say, you know, how do I push what I have 
right. to like make those decisions. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's time to add something more to how do I utilize what I have more creatively and, and understanding the balance. That's what scares me to death about modeling. Okay. There's an infinite yep. number of things to put in your app. Right. Like I said before, uh, right. When, when you're making sounds from electricity, it's it's all open. Uh, and the question is, uh, uh, paraphrasing it for the mic, is like, how? At what point do you uh, decide to add another friend to the, the the box, or do you just focus on what's going down? For me, and I have lots of modules, <laughs> but I. I still follow the philosophy of Don and uh, Alan, which is they called patching instrument definitions. And so they would patch a constellation of modules and call that an instrument and learn to play it. And again, they're coming from, you know, how many hours have, you know, did I put in as a kid in the practice room learning trumpet, you know, and how many hours did they did. So I will, pa I will create an instrument and then I will spend a lot of time with it and, and learn it and have a relationship with it. Um, and, oh uh, yeah, actually, did you, you must have read to the end. The last page. I didn't see it, but I guess I included it. Less is more. Challenge yourself to get the most out of a single module. <laughs> and if you have a relationship with a module and then add, and, and you know, say you have like five modules, live with that for a month or two. Uh, a good friend uh, who passed a, a while ago was Richard Lanehart, and he had an 18 module bukla. And um, it was a 200E, so it could memorize 30 instrument definitions. And he spent like years patching that, and he left that patch for, th he, he performed only that patch for three years. And uh, he could do wonders, you know. If, if you know your instrument, you know, you can do stuff. That's not to say, I also spend a lot of time just going, well, Let's do that. <laughs> you know, let's patch a bunch of stuff. Yeah, let's get another module um, and find out if it plays nicely. <laughs> I, I like the idea of creating an instrument and sort of leading with that and pushing it to its limits and then saying, okay. Right. I think I've done enough. Yeah, right. It's like a violin, you know, four strings. It can play Bach. It can play, you know, uh, crazy extended uh, techniques. It can play rock and roll. It can play heavy metal. It, you know, you name the label, it can do it. But it's the person playing it. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I want to add uh, even possibly a counterpoint, too, is that you know, in, in my early days or whatever, I kind of looked at my modular as an instrument. And I'm like, okay, what am I missing in this instrument? Continually adds stuff. Okay, uh, you know, something that I feel is, is workable. And I didn't stop buying my Correct. <laughs> and now I'm kind of at a point where 
there's a library of modules that I can just kind of say, I want an idea, and I'll just compose you know, a cluster of things from a library, yeah. rather than kind of saying, this is my, you know, these are the modules I have you know, for this instrument. It's like, here's a module, or here's a library, I can just kind of pick a few here, and I want these three or four together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Right. And and you know them, and so you you can play them. Yeah. yeah. The, four, the four of us guys show this new module. This new module is coming out next time, and you can have four ensemble oscillators. You know. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to add and bring attention to one of the simplest things that you shared with me one time, and I'm sure with many other synthesis, is just. When in doubt, do the opposite. Mm. In fact, I added the doubt, but do the opposite. Explore the opposite. Say what? Just exploring yeah. the opposite of exactly. any aspect of composition right. or creation. Right. Just, that just changed everything. Oh, I think, like, to kind of expound upon that or kind of reword it, um, mm. something, when I made my first, like, full-length electronic album, um, I had no gear. I, I had bad, bad, cheap gear, and I still wanted so. I knew it wasn't going to sound good, so I leaned into, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just lean into my limitations, and so I feel like when you feel maybe, like, limited, and if something's making, like, this thing's not working for me, well, then maybe that's the thing that you keep, like, okay, I'm going to keep doing the thing on this that's not working for me, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, maybe this is working, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, and just to expound on do the opposite, that, that was in the context of if you have a patch and you don't know where to go, take one knob and slowly turn it to the opposite position and then keep doing that. <laughs> and if you go slow enough, you'll find whole new ball games, universes happening. Yeah? It's kind of ties into all this. So, like, I'm composing for acoustic instruments. I know when I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with this, like, how do you develop the skill to kind of know, you know, with electronics because it's infinite variations and you can keep on experimenting forever? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, as John Cage said, it's so good I'd hate to ruin it with an answer. <laughs> um, but uh, again, if you know your instrument, you you start to feel the sound and, you know, I mean, compositionally, uh, Edgar Varese's Edgar uh, early electronics, right, um, says form or structure is not about we create form and throw content into it. He says form is like a crystal growing. And so a crystal starts and then it grows and then another facet starts and it grows and that you look at it and it goes, yeah, that's a crystal and oh, that's a crystal. Uh, they look completely different, but they're crystals. Uh, and, yeah, and they stop. Um, so I, I think you will develop the intuition that you have for acoustic instruments with the electric, again, just having that relationship with sound. And as I say, follow the sound, and it'll tell you when it's done. <laughs> it's incredibly fun to build curl, patch, curl patches oh. with that in mind, just kind of like, 
you know, start with a, a feedback cycle or something, and then just kind of add, remove, add a little bit, and then kind of find the right balance. Cool. Very rewarding. Oh, good. Yay. I have one question. It's not really on topic, but I'm just curious. So, okay, let's just say Surge, your Hordite, um, Vukla, your Arak. Are there four moods that would make, like, this mood would pull me towards wanting to choose this as my compositional tool today, or? Oh, good question. Uh, I, I don't approach it with, I'm in a mood. <laughs> I approach it like, ah, what's the Hordike telling me today? Uh -huh, okay. You know, and so I'll go to the Hordike and go, oh, hello. Uh, you know, and, you know, sometimes I, I'll spend two hours and, uh, you know, we're not having a conversation. That's, part of, that's also part of the deal, right? It's not like we have to be inspired all the time. In fact, most of the time, uh, but you have to show up every day and uh, you know, go, hi, honey. <laughs> Can we talk? <laughs> you know, and um, yeah. I knew I was going to get a Todd Barton answer out of that question. <laughs> How are we doing on time? I think we're about out an hour. Yeah, I think there's another group in here, so. Yeah, we're at 56 minutes. Okay. Well, thank you all. It's so good to see you. Thank you. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much once again to Paolo and everybody who helped get the Portland Synth Expo set up. Also, Huge thanks to uh, Todd Barton for his wonderful talk and for uh, allowing me to use it as some podcast material. Uh, take heed his wisdom. He, he, he knows what's up. Um, once again, if you'd like to support the show on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. Thank you to Patchworks, After Later Audio, 4MS, and Novation for their continued support of Podular Modcast. Don't forget to check out the Basil from Bastel, as well as the Aikido Dynamic VCA Mixer. Thank you to Dead Midi for the awesome track. If you would like to be a featured artist on Podular Modcast, hit me up on Discord or Instagram or via email through podmodcast at gmail.com. This week's secret word is, well, it's two. Let's do two. Let's do psychedelic basil. Thank you so much for coming back to Podular Modcast. Until next week.